We got uh, a bunch of usual folks in the gang, the press. We got Peter, myself, and Tyler. Our new guest today is Dave. Dave, welcome to the press. Thanks. Glad to be here. How you been? Yeah, not too bad. Been flat out with work, and uh, that's about it currently. Mm. New job, so. Congrats. Congrats. So um, Tyler was telling me that you have... uh, a lot of experience talking about and uh, working with organizations like the IWW and or the IWA. Yeah, IWA, AIT. That's yeah. It's hard to keep track of all these acronyms from time to time, especially when you're as ignorant as me. What's up, Suzanne? Hello, can you hear me? I can hear you. Awesome. Dave, Suzanne, Suzanne, this is Dave. Nice Good to night. meet you, Dave. <laughs> um, when we were talking about the topic for the episode, we talked a little bit about that, and I'm certainly ready to get educated on it. And if I remember correctly, uh, associated with this conversation was the conversation of um, anarcho-syndicalism. Is that, is that true? Yeah, so anarcho-syndicalism is a method towards uh, achieving anarchism. So um, when you look at groups, and you mentioned before the International Workers of the World or IWW or the Wobblies Mm -hmm. as they're they're known, and the IWA, which is the International Workers Association, they're Mm -hmm. two very different kind of structures in in the way that they work. The IWW came out of the needs of workers in the US mainly. It's very US focused, and the IWA was very Europe. European focused. Got it. Um, but the IWW was actually syndicalist. It wasn't anarchist and it isn't anarchist. It explicitly isn't anarchist. The methodologies that it uses is um, revolutionary unionism mm-hmm. and about syndicalism, in other words, the coming together of syndicates into the one big union. Mm-hmm. And they have things like a general organising committee, which is voted by the, the, the whole mass of the organisation. So every single person in the IWW has a vote to who's going to be on that uh, general executive committee. Um, where the IWA is very different. It's structured as a... Um, an association of groups. So the IWA doesn't have individual members. It is a organisation of groups. It's a confederation. So, for example, here in Australia, we have a federation called the Anarcho-Syndicalist Federation, the ASF, Mm -hmm. which is the Australian section of the International Workers Association. That's made up itself of Groups. So members of the ASF aren't individuals, they're groups. So, for instance, our group in the region that I am in, in northwest uh, Tasmania, mm-hmm. um, is called is ASF Northwest Tasmania. We could call it anything, but we have about four or five people involved in that group. We're only small. Um, we're a rural area, a small town of about 20,000 people. Mm-hmm. So that's actually quite a good percentage compared to what kind of percentages you can get in in large cities of people in anarchist groups. Mm -hmm. But um, 
we, we've come together just at our local level and agree on ideas and concepts and working towards um, change in our workplaces, in the community that we live and things like that. We've affiliated with other groups doing the same thing around Australia and that's what makes up the Confederation. We're autonomous. We've, we can decide what we want to do and things like that. Uh, but we've got to have agreements with other groups, say, for instance, in, in Melbourne, um, the North Melbourne group or the East Melbourne group there, um, on how we're going to make decisions between us. And that makes up the aims and principles of our group. So from the bottom up, we're autonomous groups that are, are networking using anarcho-syndicalism, a methodology um, uh, uh, to to make decisions, but we're still autonomous groups made up of individuals. The idea is that people make better decisions face to face um, than the mass vote. Um, I, I think uh, Proudhon um, said something similar about how the mass vote can lead to tyranny. Right and. I, I can give you an example of um, some of the, the kind of differences that you might see in in how that plays out on larger groups. Mm -hmm. In the IWA, we, we have representation really regionally, so there may mm -hmm. be a regional lo local and people join that or affiliate with that local mm -hmm. so that we have sections in Australia, we have uh, sections in India, we have sections in... Um, Spain, we have sections in Germany, etc., that people join as affiliates within mm -hmm. there as autonomous groups. Whereas the IWW, you can pretty much sign up online, get your card, and you're a member, <laughs> which uh, it it doesn't kind of mean much. <laughs> In the play of things, there's some problems with the organisation, those type of what's called general membership organisations. Uh -huh. um, when when you think of the one big union concept that the IWW puts forward, it's like very much, well, which kind of form and methodology are you going to use? But for instance, say someone in Australia trying to get representation for our region on the general committee, one vote per person, the can never get someone from Australia onto that general committee because the membership in the US have just got so much voting power mm. by the individuals that the representation for a, a region, say, here in Australia just won't happen. People don't know the people. Um, there's no connections. Um, it's very much personality politics and that can lead to problems with organising. And we see that a bit with um, our experience of the IWW here in Australia when they've had certain issues over um, abusive members, for instance, um, mm. where the, at the local level they haven't been able to, to sort it out. Mm. Um, the decision's been made by the US to throw that member out. That wouldn't happen in the ASF. In the ASF, 
the local membership would have a problem with a member, that would be raised amongst the, the Congress and the Congress would say, well, you, your group isn't to be involved in decision-making until you work out what, what you're doing, where, where you're headed. Mm. So it tends to contain issues at a local level. Hmm. Um, I'm, I'm rambling a bit, but... No, so you're, you're, you're articulating a lot of complexity, I, and I want to just yeah. respect that. You know, you're not talking about simple things, right? Mm. Um, and, I, and I find the distinction, um, and this is new territory for me in terms of considering such things in like a communication with people, so bear with me here, but it just seems like the advantage, I, I can't quite put my finger on it, but the advantage of having a large, you know, circular base of communication of individuals versus many small groups of individuals all interacting together that act as, you know, a, a set of sets. Um, it just seems like the, the latter is going to get more diversity just in general because well, there's, there's more inherent checks and balances, mm -hmm. right? Well, to give, you an, to give you an example, and this will probably take the same methodology that I'm talking about and place it in some a kind of framework that that may give some familiarity to it. Mm -hmm. When I was doing um, my diplomas, I did diplomas in community service and, mm -hmm. and, and things like that. Um, I went to a, a school, a college type, and um, part of the project there that was within our community services diploma was to work on... Um, some type of community service, mm. um, community benefit, whether that be an event, whether that be a group or things like that, I decided to start up a student union, mm. um, a student association mm -hmm. in that school. Right. And how I, I structured it was that each class um, was able to send a representative at the lunchtime to um, the meeting. It doesn't, didn't matter who it was, it could change or whatever, mm -hmm. but that, um, that person or that delegate doesn't have any decision-making powers. They can only mm -hmm. bring the decisions of the class mm -hmm. to that meeting. They're a communicator. So, yes. Like her, they're like Hermes, basically. Yeah, effectively, to, to yeah. give the idea of the group forward. So mm -hmm. what would happen, would, would you say, before the meeting, the student group meeting, which would happen once a, a month, Mm. Um, classes could nominate things that they were interested in, somewhere like they wanted recycling bins around the school or, or things like that. They'd put that forward onto the agenda and that agenda was regularly distributed. Mm -hmm. And the classes themselves would discuss the topic. So within the class, within their, their friends, their comrades, um, they would discuss those issues and come to a class position over, you know, whether they agree with that issue or what their disagreements were. So when the actual meeting came along, it would last for about half an hour because we already knew the agenda topics. The people that came already took the position of the class's position to, to that meeting or the general feeling of the class mm -hmm. to, to that meeting. So there was no kind of discussions with the one person goes, oh, but my idea is this, that... that mm -hmm. In any large group, you'll see a very loud person that may say their point of view over and over and over <laughs> and stop the discussion from coming mm -hmm. about. 
So mm. none of that happens because the decisions and all that stuff is made face-to-face right. with people that are working through coming to a common consensus on a position. Right. So the and meetings were very quick. Right. It sounds like. So uh, this also kind of dovetails with the idea of Dunbar's number, right? In Dun- what way? Uh, well, Dunbar's number, if I'm not mistaken, is the... Uh, it's the theory that your average person can really only hold a certain average set of actual relationships in their life, like physical one-on-one relationships, right? I think yeah. it's like a, I think it's like three hundred, right? Like it's 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 difficult to uh, kind of reap the benefits of connection from a one-on-one place with with a group of people that you're connected to past a certain number. That after a mm-hmm. while, it it the benefit gets kind of diminishing return, you know. Um, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. And yes, that's true. We tend to keep our affiliates at about 12 and then we'd split into two, so two separate groups. Right. Um, a, a lot of the, the locals will be based around their organising in a workplace. So a lot of the members may be in a, a particular workplace or over a particular issue and things like that. So the federation and the difference between sorry i'm kind of going back a bit but no worries syndicalism is very much based around industrial organizing in unions in the workplace so the difference the difference with anarcho syndicalism is not only having industrial unions but civic unions ah. so when you talk about civic unions in the way of um, groups that may be based in a locality or Mm -hmm. over a specific issue or things, the way that people naturally come together is the way that they organise, they choose to organise through their their social networks and fabrics that make up their community is the way that they connect with others. So, yeah. Um, The other important aspect that I should talk about with the meetings is the decisions don't get made at the Congress either. They come up with a list or at the main meeting of the decisions of the Congress if there was agreement and then it goes back to the groups for ratification, which means that the group itself then has to say what happened at the meeting was best anarchist practice, that their their position was properly represented by their delegate. Mm. Beautiful. And that that's when the decision becomes binding. So could I um, ask, um, so you're talking about delegates um, uh, being sent to the meeting, which is a lot more orderly. Um, do the other members of each organization um, follow along, say, on, let's say, Zoom or something, where they can vote? in real time i don't know if this is so important to your organization but you know to keep in this anarchist um theme of everyone getting a voice and no one overruling another um we see it as very important having that discussion you know Mm -hmm. rather than people being separated from the the discussions that um, holds them accountable for their decisions mm-hmm. as well. Um, 
so it's very important that the group come to a decision before the meeting rather than having the meeting where people can just vote from the background based on on what they think at the time or their changed view or, or, or things like mm-hmm. that. The, the, the group decision is very important and that takes a discussion between the group to come to, to the position. That's mm-hmm. what bottom-up organising is. Um, mm-hmm. The, the organising face-to-face to work out the pros, the cons, the, 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 the crappy bits of the discussion. Um, I, I've got to find um, Proudwin's actual, um, what he's, one of his quotes, or it was very similar, I, I think I have mm-hmm. it here, um, which kind of summarises that. It was Richard Vernon who paraphrased Proudhon anyway, um, and it's in the introduction to the translated the principle of federation. What we're talking about is federation or federal, anarchist federalism. Um, the anarchists before anarchism kind of became a word amongst socialism and, and Bakunin and things were, they were referred to as federalists. Mm-hmm. And he said, solicit men's views in the mass and they will all return stupid, fickle and violent answers. Solicit their views as members of definite groups with real solidarity and a distinctive character and their answers will be responsible and wise. Mm. Expose them to the political language of mass democracy, which represents the people as unitary and divided and minorities as traitors and they will give birth to tyranny. Expose them to the political language of federalism in which the people figures as a diversified aggregate of real associations and they will resist tyranny to the end. Um, I'll I'll put that in the chat for you guys, but um, that's that's an old concept and it's very important um, amongst anarchists um, or the anarchists that I I organise with that that conversation occurs in the assembly. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, there's ways that we can sp- speed it up, and we've done things like you probably have you heard of spokes councils? Um, no, no. A spokes council is when you have a um, a, a uh, protest, for instance, mm-hmm. and you've got a whole diversified types of groups that are coming to it. Um, and they can be anything from state socialists to, to whatever, uh, and interest groups are coming. Mm. You organise a um, spokes council where you might organise in a park and say, we're all going to go to a park and hear about what other groups are going to be doing at the protest so we all know what everyone's doing. You have a representatives of each group will sit in a circle and all the members for that group will sit behind that representative and the representative is the only person that's able to talk. And the discussion goes around the group talking about what each group may want to do. Some may want to do NVDA, nonviolent direct action. Some may want to say they're going to do, you know, go to this place in the city or they're going to do that or, or whatever they may do. And... It opens up the conversation between diverse groups, regardless of whether they're anarchist or not. Um, and but it's an anarchist methodology of of organising. Right, that kind of stuff can is anarchistic in practice. That's beautiful. It uh, really it hits me hard too, because uh, in my own kind of like uh, personal spiritual exploration of, of anarchy. 
uh, as I've just learned about organizations outside of our preconceived ones, organizations, organizational practices, with, without being able to have a lot of academic understanding, uh, the image that has just popped into my head again and again and again, and this is why it's just so impactful to hear what you just said, because I've never heard the word spokes council, spoke council, never heard it. But the, Im- the image of a wheel with a center and spokes, the, the three potential parts, like the way I've been breaking it down is that the center is what brings people together. That's cooperation. That's where rights are created, right? And the spokes are communication out to the rim of the wheel, which is where the wheel hits the road. So labor speaks from the pressure of the wheel and the environment through the spokes into the center. And that's just something that's my little personal weird shit I've been like vacillating on. So to hear you say that, I'm just kind of blown away. And Uh, the important thing is that communication goes both ways. It doesn't come out from the, you know, when... I was talking about the assemblies at a congress or at a, at a meeting. The decisions come in and the decisions go out and backwards and forwards. Mm-hmm. And it's that yeah. backwards and forwards play mm-hmm. that is the decision making. Yeah. Um, it know, doesn't it, it, it oh, force an individual. Sorry, it's all right. It doesn't force an individual to be um, involved in the uh, in the decision making, but it gives them the opportunity to. It, so, it encourages yeah. them. It encourages it because yeah. in the in, in the methodology of this kind of wheel idea that I hear you speaking of that matters to me because it's something that I've been feeling from the communications of anarchism that come from so many diverse places is that like with the methodology of a wheel, the reason that they all have to work together. If the if the center isn't solid, then that's going to throw off the spokes and the rim. The wheel will fall apart because it's it's moving down the road of of reality, of physical environmental impact. That's why. I'm fascinated personally with, uh, you know, the bridge between traditional syndicalism and anarcho-syndicalism because skill-based hierarchies are the only hierarchies that I've been able to find that kind of, um, they tread in new waters of what's considered justice or not, right? When you're not, when you don't, when you don't have, when you have top-down leadership, that's going to reflect what justice means or doesn't mean in the environment, but with the the impact model of communication of the wheel, people are going to be, people inherently, in my experience, always want to do something, right? Yeah. Like, I don't believe in the concept of lazy. I don't believe in the concept of crazy or any of those things. Well, it's contribution. Uh, when when anarcho-syndicalists talk about workers, we're talking about their uh, a person's relationship to the means of production or, or their relationship to um, capital, um, not not that they're necessarily, uh, as um, the state may say, this is work and this is not. If you're <laughs> staying at home and you're um, minding the kids, you're not a worker, you're a stay-at-home mum, while dad out you know, at the factories, the worker. Uh, it's the same with politics. To to anarchists, everything is political. When I yep. discuss or talk with you, we're doing politics. It's yep. only the the state that has said that at this point, it's politics. Everything else and every other discussion isn't. Right. It's an arbitrary kind of point. Every time we work with our, our friends or, or something or come to a decision here over um, yep. ha- having uh, this this meeting online, mm-hmm. those are political 
decisions. Mm -hmm. We're doing politics. We're coming to a consensus. We're Mm -hmm. agreeing on it. We're going through with it. Um, It's the same with work. Work is, and when we talk about workers, everything is work. It's what we do to survive. The only mm-hmm. people that, who aren't workers are those that live off the labour of, of everyone else. You know, well, the, it's, the it's, parasites. Right. So this is this is so this is where people who disagree with that interject the point that well. You can't say that, like, say, like a landlord or a CEO or any form of middleman in a bureaucracy that represents what you just spoke on, and that, that I very much agree with in, in, in one way, but I want to expand on. Yeah. Uh, is that the, the proponents of, uh, or the dissenters of such ideas such as this uh, will point out that there is clearly work and labor involved for people that are in upward positions of control over others as far as labor is concerned. And the, the, the hack that I wanted to introduce for discussion to that is that uh, what we perceive as labor in our current society is often inherently ascribed to like value. Like if it doesn't have perceived value, it doesn't count as labor, right? If it can't produce profit, or um, capital for a boss, which is the perceived value, or have something from your labour taken by someone else for their mm-hmm. own gain, yeah. then it's not um, recognised for, right. for what it can be. Right. If, if, if hard work was recognised, I mean, you know, three quarters of the women in the third world would be CEOs <laughs> and exactly. Oh, and dollars, man. you know. Man, the, it, sing, the single mom conversation in this country would be flipped 180 degrees. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the hack that I've come up for myself that I just, it's like, this is, this is the thing I put to those dissenters is that life, like being alive is inherently laborious. And that only sounds like a bummer if you consider labor to be the division of work and freedom, right? And if, but if we actually create access to the things that people love, making it easy as possible for people who just want to contribute, what the fuck ever. A student is always a worker, right? Like in any level of skill, in any industry, you're going to have people that are going to be interested in it. that want to do it, especially young people. Right. Mm-hmm. And this is where it gets weird. Like ugh, I'm, I'm going too fast, too far. The point mm-hmm. is this, is that life is labor, period. Yeah. It's going to, it's going to require metabolism and, and that gets weaponized by people that are, dis, are proponents of top-down leadership in a way that, um, damn, dogs so, are fighting. <laughs> Apparently they disagree. Are your dogs capitalists? <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry, over uh, my parents' dogs. Mm. Um. Uh, yeah. So there's more editing we're gonna have to do. <laughs> uh, what was I saying? So, yeah, life is labor. Period. And the link between the divide, the divide that we have between what is considered work and labor that is has perceived value, and what we have as play in our lives. Liberty, freedom, happiness, that pursuit of happiness, whatever that is, or whoever, um, that's arbitrary as fuck, yeah. right? Where, and where's this division come from and who is a- anyone else to say what 
what is the value that someone contributes to society. The simple fact is we're a social creature. You can't deny mm-hmm. that we have to live with other people around us and and we impact on other people in, in so many ways. When I walk down the street and I hear someone playing music and asking for money at the side of the road, they're contributing to my day. Mm-hmm. That's part of the culture, mm-hmm. you know, and that culture is very hard to put um, mm-hmm. money to. And the question is what kind of culture or what kind of society we want to live in, you know, and what, mm-hmm. what kind of protections that we can gain for mm-hmm. not only ourselves but our loved ones should the worst happen, you know. Say I was in an accident and was unable to to um, contribute in my workplace anymore mm-hmm. and um, was confined to, to, to being home. I want those protections as well mm-hmm. that that of give other people. It's a two way street. Um, we're, we're social creatures. Mm-hmm. Peter, I feel like you might have a lot to add here. Well, I'd be very intimidating. This is really a very uh, powerful. You're cutting out there a little bit. Can you repeat that? We can take away. Yeah, you're cutting out, Peter. Can you hear me? Yeah, but you're, it looks like you're... Let me do what I can do. Hold on. Hold on. I'll try to see what I can do here. Uh, it sounds better now. Yeah, try now. Oh. Okay, <laughs> I said I was... There we go. I've sort of been taking this... Yeah. I think you might need to get closer. I think you might need to get closer to the house, Peter. Because it's cutting out again. That's funny. I'm in my normal spot. Yeah. Hold on. I'm going to try switching internet sources. All right. I'll be right back. Right on. I came up with a joke about ableism that punches uh that punches up you want to hear it yeah guy's in a wheelchair and he's got to get a new wheelchair there's a wheelchair expo coming up his friend who's an unconscious ableist and doesn't realize it gets invited to go with him and he's kind of nervous he's like i've never been to a thing like this it feels weird being around a bunch of people with disabilities i don't know if i'm gonna be do anything weird if i'm gonna do anything right or wrong and i don't know how he's all nervous so they go to the wheelchair expo and they're looking around and Looking for wheelchairs, and the person in the wheelchairs is like, no, I don't like that one, I don't like that one, I don't like that one. Then he sees what he likes, and he goes, uh, ooh, that one looks nice. Uh, And he turns to his friend, the unconscious ableist, and goes, well, what do you think? And he kind of freezes up, and he goes, uh, and he he sits in it, and then he he gets back up, and then he goes, wow, this is is nice. He sits in it, and he goes, I like it. He gets up, he's like, what do you think? He's like, well, it's really easy to get in and out of them. I love that. Thanks for yeah, thanks for enduring my intermission, Peter. Welcome back. Hi, can you hear me now? Yeah, keep talking for a second. Let's see if it if it's stable. Okay, testing. Uh, one, two, three, test. There we go. There we go. I feel like I'm back on my ham radio. <laughs> um, no, I was saying I've been listening to this very fascinating uh, conversation. And I'll ask a few questions in a minute. But I, you know, we talk about the worth of various types of labor activity. 
it's important that everyone's activity counts, you know, because we all contribute. Uh, speaking of the person with a disability who happens to be a wheelchair user, sometimes even though I have a really uh, uh, busy job and support people exercising their rights when they're denied the service, for example, or doing a lot of work on public policy, some people don't consider that as worthy as other positions. And I've... Um, over to the issue of uh, unions, I've always supported workers' rights, but we do have to make sure that everyone gets heard in the process. Like, for example, we have, uh, uh, for home care, um, there's a service employees, uh, SEIU, Service Employees International, and they do a lot of great work system where we're going right? And that's great. But sometimes they don't listen to the people they're supposed to be serving or helping or assisting mm -hmm. when they make their decisions. For example, a few years back, uh, somebody came up with this really um, proposal that for the most part, um, these uh, workers... If the people who are assistants wanted to be off by 8 o'clock at night, we had to all be in bed by 8 o'clock, and that doesn't work. So we had to do a little bit of arguing over, like, for example, um, as uh, Eugene knows, because we're very good friends, uh, I get up at 4 a.m. to do my work, because yep. my work starts early, so... It's important that there be a balance and that everyone's worth its value. I wanted to ask one more thing. You were talking about delegates, Dave. Um, so I take it that the local group votes, and I'm not going to put this as well as you did, um, and then do you choose delegates to go to the larger meeting of the body, different delegates, or are they always the same ones? Well, that's up to the group. We, we don't impose that. At a face-to-face -face level, a group can organise how they want. That's up to them. Um, the, people are free to, to come together in association or they're free not to. Um, we've had disagreements, say, for instance, in Melbourne where groups have split. They've just grouped, split into two different groups because they had different ideas of what directions they wanted to head and or how they wanted to organise internally. That's up to them. Um, if they want to have the same person um, representing them each week because that person's articulate or, or best puts forward their views or encapsulates it, that's up to them. If they want to do a general vote where the majority votes or if they want to work by a consensus, that's up to them. Within the Congress, when they um, their assembly is, is organising with others, however, that's where we have structures that say this is, this is how we operate together as anarchist groups. So it's 
at, at that local level, that group has autonomy. How they want to work, they can speak for themselves, they can do what they wish, so long as they um, come together within the aims and principles of federation, which is the agreement of federation or the agreement that we work together. And, and to extend from what you were saying before, one of the basic concepts that we or the International Workers Association um, come under is from each according to their ability to each according to their need. You know, um, so that's that's how we look at the way of structuring um, society. When we talk about ourselves as anarchists, um, it's, uh, it's, it's freedom and socialism. So we're talking about uh, what's referred to in Europe as libertarian communism. It's not um, that strange beast that came out of the US called libertarianism when, when <laughs> um, to, to the vast majority in Europe and Australia and across the world, libertarianism has always been a very left kind of idea and, and concept. It's the, um, the libertarian right or what's come out of the US that has seemed to just say um, any kind of oppression, any kind of um, uh, division that's economic doesn't count for some reason, <laughs> you, you know. Um, th that power doesn't matter. Um, where to to um, to libertarians in other parts of the world, that that economic um, freedom and uh, fr freedom from power is, is extremely important. So, um, yeah, the IWA is um, an anarchist group. We're working towards pure communism or um, pure libertarian communism. Um, uh, could I um, just uh, stray on uh, or stray off a little bit? Um, I wanted to get a little bit in. Uh, you've told me before you... Um, do organization work in um, some of the island chain of uh, in the Southeast Asia. Um, do you, can you tell us anything about that? Um, what you do, who you meet, um, whatever you want to talk about there. Yeah, well, um, I kind of mentioned a bit earlier that the um, IWA or the International Workers Association has historically been very Eurocentric, uh, where the IWW, for instance, is very um, US-centric. Um, one of the uh, decisions that, that came out of a, the Congress, which is um, of different federations from around the world was that we should put more work into um, organising um, in the local area because we didn't really have groups throughout the Asiatic. Um, not, not Australia was really the only one. Um, so it's under mandate from the Congress, um, we've got the uh, Asia-Pacific um, IWA, which uh, gave... Uh, the Anarcho-Syndicalist Federation or the Australian section, the mandate to start organising uh, across um, into Asia. We connected with groups like PPAS, uh, Pasaran, Pekaraj, uh, Anarcho-Syndicalis, which is out of Jakarta in Indonesia. Um, 
was probably the first group that we started connecting with and and working with. They came together and um, particularly started organising around Uber workers and that uh, what could be referred as the precariat or those um, in precarious jobs, the gig economy. Um, and uh, that grew quite quickly. Um, we did uh, some uh, translations of, of documents and, and things. They ended up uh, joining the IWA. So we had our first um, group in uh, uh, Indonesia. We've got uh, an um, initiative in Malaysia and what I'm talking about with initiatives is initiatives are groups that are forming, so we support groups to, to form. For instance, with PPAS, we went over there and started running workshops with uh, on, on organising and what is anarchism and our approaches to direct action to um, achieve goals. We um, showed them how we organise, but more importantly, why we organise the way we do and what that protects um, us in doing. Some of these skills come out of experience through decades of, of people working together to overcome the issues that we, we get in in organising um, in in the large scale. This is not small scale organising, we organise large scale and, and between groups that can be very diverse. And, and these are levels of scale that mean being able to have political leverage against organisations such as the cops. We want to take over the whole of society. Our but, aim but, is... But that's my point, is the scale you're talking about yeah. it, it is a threat to police because police are what hold the... It's a threat together. to the state. Right. It's just, so, which, so, you know, it's so, whole... so, so here's my question. In this, in this uh, path that you've walked and to which you've distributed this information and participated in directly with so many diverse communities, what are some of the patterns of conflict that you've seen emerge? And, and I mean, I know this is a complex conversation given the scope that you work with, um, but in that scope, what are some patterns that you see kind of coming up around the conflicts that emerge and the tools brought to the fore to, um, to meet those conflicts on, on whatever level, be that, um, you know, like dealing with the cops, direct violence from the state to inter intergroup um, conflicts, right? Yep. Uh, well, that's, a, that's an extremely broad question because every group has, has issues. To start, say, with PPAS in, in Indonesia, um, they... We had um, 6,000 Uber members join the uh, um, an affiliate within the PPAS. That was 6,000 people joining an anarchist union and starting to fight back. That's, that's stuff we don't see so much in the West and the, the possibilities um, of these organisations that we're working with um, who aren't held back by a lot of the traditional media and concept over what anarchism is and that anarchism is a form of lifestyle and it's all in the, the concepts in your head of over you want to be free and things like this. Anarchism to us is an organisational form. It is a um, 
practice that you do when you organise with others. Right. To be anarchist is like to be a pianist. If you don't play the piano, you're uh, at best a pianist sympathiser. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with, with, uh, uh, with, with anarchism, the practice of anarchism, the organising with others, the learning from that experience, you're learning what works and what doesn't is what is anarchism. And... Um, the state recognises that it's a real threat. In PPAS, for instance, with one of the May Day rallies, um, there was people that ended up burning down a cop station um, and that was on the, the May Day. Um, we had problems with the reformist unions, but the um, police then went... Um, onto the media, and this wasn't members of PPAS, it wasn't anarcho-syndicalists, it was uh, young people that uh, referred to themselves as anarchists and they threw Molotovs. Um, on the day it looked great and it was really, you know, it's a wonderful thing to see a police station burn down. This is true. I, I, don't, I don't disagree, yeah. but um, the... the um, state has used that imagery mm -hmm. heavily. Um, it was all over the media about PPAS. They had to go underground. And when you're talking in Indonesia, they, it wasn't that long ago, 20 or 30 years ago, that people with those concepts from communism were shot. So it's, um, it's very close to home when the people that you're, you're working with are hiding from the police because they can disappear. Um, and that's caused, and this is a problem with a lot of what comes out of, whether it be Australia, the US or Europe, over the imagery of anarchism um, as being um, a lifestyle, you know, a group that you join and, and something else rather than a methodology you use, um, that it it can be very destructive to their organising. It makes it very hard for them to work um, in teaching um, workers why it's important that the forms of unionism that they use aren't restricted to the workplace, that, um, that the bottom paid uh, organisers and the hierarchy of the union is a bad thing that disempowers workers. Um, it, it can be hard to get those kind of messages out when you're, you're just running from um, misinformation that's put forward by, by the state. Um, we also work, since that's expanded, we've got groups in Bangladesh which organise amongst the tea workers, some of the most poorest people in the world. Um, or poorest workers in the world who are earning, I think it was about a, a dollar twenty US a day for labour. And they're working 12 to 14 hour days um, picking tea. Um, we've got uh, groups in MEM in India and now Pakistan as well. Um, some of these groups with just the concepts, friends in, in Pakistan, for instance, um, you know, uh, and it worries me that they post something as supportive as something over LGBTI people on their Facebook um, wall can can have them targeted and, and wow, yeah, things things like that. So, I mean, we experience. Um, 
a, a different we've got a different experience in the countries that we're in and every country has its own different experiences but it's it's worth recognizing that in some places it's very hard to speak up um, about certain issues because of the social structures that are in place there but we tend to just focus around um yeah, getting people together, getting people into groups, practicing the organising together, um, and that seems to be be working mm-hmm. working well. So um, I, I know it's uh, it's coming close to. Um, uh, hold on. The hounds are getting closer. <laughs> Don't worry about that. I have the same problem over here, Tyler. No worries. <laughs> Dogs, man. Dogs are hilarious. Well, Dave, I really, really appreciate this uh, really helpful and educational data drop. <laughs> yeah, Thank it's you. hard to get everything mentally together in, in, to, to kind of express everything that I, I want to. It's a, a lot easier sometimes um, being involved in the organization, organizing and just how it works and the ideas, you know. I haven't done a lot of reading. It's probably later in my life that I've come to look at um, some of the the thinkers in the area like Bakunin and Proudhon um, because um, of what I've been doing aligns with what they've been summarising um, our experiences in uh, in uh, Melbourne. I grew up in Melbourne, and things was with um, exiles from Spain. So we had, you know, the ASF was started that way. So our experiences have been since I was a teenager and left home is organising via anarchist principles in, mm-hmm. you know, local areas nationally and internationally. Right. Beautiful. Does anybody want to jump in and uh, add anything to this, or do they have any questions? And this has been a really fascinating conversation, and I think you know it's, it requires a different dialogue. It's a lot to think about. There's some. Uh, go ahead, Judith. Oh no, I'm no. Go ahead. I'll go after you. And I can see some parallels over here as far as systems and the sort of inequality that we all have to, to deal with and the answer is trying to figure out a way to get everyone to sort of have a to be able to participate equitably in the process whenever it's being developed to make sure everyone has a place. Go ahead and that. I don't want to take too much time. No, no, no. It's, uh, I think it's really important um, what Peter's saying here because, um, you know, we, we have to deal with a lot of ableism and, um, you know, organ- organizing even with like, you know, international workers of the world um, that we're going to run into that. So, no, thank you, Peter. I appreciate you um, adding that in there um, for us to consider when we're organizing. Uh, the question I had was how this, this may be like a generalized question, but how can the U.S. be better at organizing? Because I kind of noticed we're a little, we're just not the best at organizing. So I was just wondering if you had any advice you could give us um, to uh, help us 
help us along. Well, we're we're still uh, riding the Red Scare wave um, here in the um, the U.S. So, oh, yeah. these other countries are as well. You know, it's like they can be shot in Malaysia. If if you're communist, you'll be shot. Um, in the Philippines, we've got groups organising there. So um, the the interesting thing is uh, the state in that some of these countries aren't re- isn't really familiar with what anarcho-syndicalism is <laughs> or, or its goals. They're mm-hmm. learning and as they learn, uh, we're finding like in Indonesia, they can panic and start searching for people and being worried about what the group signifies and what that organising signifies as a, a direct mm. threat to the state. Um, state fragility. Yes. That's what I call that. State yes. fragility. Yep. And um, I, I think the best thing to do, there's groups like in the US called Workers Solidarity Alliance. The The US does have um, groups that work within anarcho-syndicalist practice to, to achieve... Um, anarchism. Um, getting in co- contact with them is probably a great start. Um, usually what we do locally and is form initiatives in Australia um, and that's something that's pick, been picked up over Asia. Um, we uh, tend to do things like um, we'll get a group for us is three people, three or more people. So our first aim is to get three members in a group and then they become an affiliate and can join as a formal affiliate. From there, we involve them in congresses, the decision-making and, and things that we do so they have experience over how to interact because it's that practice that can blow up really quick. And referring again to, say, PPAS, um, they had those structures there and when... Overnight, 6,000 members decide that, well, we're going to join. The, the methods and the, the, the structures are there for them to participate and the reasoning and the ideas and the concepts there for them to participate in a very, <coughs> excuse me, real way. Um, these, these structures aren't new. I mean, millions of people organised this way in Spain um, during the Civil War. You know, these um, structures have been born through the blood, sweat and tears of organising. I'll be okay. Sorry. No, that's actually, that's that's really, really helpful. Um, You know, especially for listeners that may be new to this, um, you know, being pointed in the right direction, um, letting them know kind of like a little bit of the, the history of anarcho-syndicalism, uh, syndic- that's, that's really helpful. I appreciate you answering that question. No, that's all right. Um, I threw a, a link to our training manual in the chat there. Um, yeah, let's that- make sure we also touch bases uh, after this conversation to make sure that we get a robust set of uh, accessible links to post with this episode when it goes up. No worries. Yeah. Right on. Uh, I think, I think we're about an, out of an hour now. Anybody got anything momentous they want to push the conversation in to, or can we give thanks and depart? Well, 
I think um, this should be part one, and we need to have part two because this is an excellent conversation. It's I an ongoing conversation. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I, I definitely like to say some more in a second episode, but the dogs are just, they're going nuts. <laughs> Yeah, I, I may also be able to bring some other members from other parts of the globe to oh, the discussion awesome. at some stage if, if people are interested. Some people, yeah. So Hell yeah, we we're have, interested. We have regular meetings on Zoom and things with um, comrades in Pakistan, in Bangladesh, mm, in yes, India, um, mm, Indonesia yes, and things like that. Yes, so, please. America is stale. We need we need voices in America from outside America desperately on the level of you know these kind of conversations of different organizational practices than are prioritized here you know and especially since uh, they're probably uh, a lot more acquainted with uh, imperialism than we are yep um, you know when you look at all the clothing tags and they all say made in bangladesh or made in pakistan and you know um <laughs> so i mean I, I i think they'd be a valuable uh voice for the the show yeah absolutely make it happen great well thank you dave and thank you everybody else thank you dave we appreciate you coming on and um just, you know, giving us all that information. It's super, super appreciated. Not a problem. Um, it's a bit all over the place, but I, there's a lot to cover. Yeah, that's exactly right, Suzanne. It all, that's what I was going to say. It's, it's an ongoing conversation. It's blurry at the edges wherever it meets, you know. So uh, cheers to solidarity across the world, everybody. Yeah, cheers. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers.